Hello and welcome to DOI, your bite-sized dose of insight into something interesting. My name is Danny, and today's DRI is about digital media and anxiety. There is absolutely no doubt that we are living through trying times. Victoria is in its fifth lockdown in 15 months. Case numbers in Sydney are stubbornly staying high, with contact tracing sites growing by the hour. So in the midst of these circumstances, what has your relationship with social media been like? Have you gotten better at mediating your usage? Are you constantly checking the news? Is your screen time dominated by TikTok like it is for me? (laughs) But for me personally, since COVID burst onto the scene, my relationship with social media has been a tumultuous roller coaster. On one hand, it has been a great way for me to keep up with others and also to keep informed about the world around me. But being online has also felt incredibly draining. It's a well-known fact that digital and social media consumption has its linkages to anxiety. But can we wholly establish a direct correlation between the two? Or is it a little bit more complex than that? My hunch is that the latter rings more true. To help unpack this a little bit further, I have the great pleasure of introducing none other than my uni tutor, Maddie Hitchens. She currently happens to be completing her PhD studies in examining digital anxiety as a governing process that drives ubiquitous digital and social media use. Her research particularly focuses on the intersections of social media and ideology as they relate to the commodification of identity in late capitalism and how digital anxiety has been exploited across different platforms. This episode was a rich and deep conversation that covered topics that relate to the multifaceted experiences we have as users of these online mediums and how it's quite simply tone deaf for us to say, well, if it's so bad, why don't we just stop using it? In particular, I really enjoyed discussing how through examining anxiety through the lens of digital media, we are able to conceptualize it as an experience and in a more philosophical way, and in turn allows us to become more in tune with our limits as humans. But enough from me, let's get right into the episode. Hello, and thank you so much for being here, Maddie. Please introduce yourself and um, what you're working on right now with your PhD studies. Yeah, um, so my name is Maddie. Um, I'm currently doing my PhD at UNSW um, in Sydney. It's how I know Danny. Um, I treated for the <laughs> classes um, and I'm currently in the grueling part of trying to finish my PhD. Yeah. Um, it's yeah I'm excited by what I'm doing but it's a difficult place to be at trying to complete a PhD during COVID outbreaks and yes for sure you know not being able to use my space yeah <laughs> um, and the topic yeah. as well it's so topical right now yep. and it, I bet like you know doing the research about this area whilst also personally dealing with the pandemic it's definitely um, not an easy task Yeah, so what I'm studying is something that I'm calling digital anxiety as like a kind of, you know, cultural phenomenon slash I'm I'm considering it to be like a governing system of social media. Right. Um, So I'm using it as a way to help explain like why we're drawn in to social media and particularly like why we keep using it despite alleging to know better 
or alleging mm. to know that it's harmful. There's mm. this really common discourse around social media as being like harmful or an addiction or a disorder, yeah. um, which is very interesting in and of itself, but particularly this idea of like, oh, it's bad for us, but we can't get enough, like a toxic relationship. Yeah, it's like a weird paradox where we know that it's harmful or we know that it can actually have quite a negative impact on our mental health or beyond as well, physical health, just everything. Mm-hmm. But like you say, we just can't get enough of it. So we just keep, you know, crawling back. But yep. how did you land on the particular idea to focus on this particular topic? Um, well, when I was in like my kind of second and third year of uni, well, actually, no, I've been, it's personal. I've had struggled with anxiety since I was a child. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of my experience growing up is like through the experience of anxiety and when I was um in like my later years of uni it kind of transformed into social anxiety for the first time Mm. um and it was just to me I would think a lot about social media and whether like that played played a part right in my anxiety just because I did grow up like I was born in 1995 so I really did grow up like alongside Mm. the internet um and I've been using social platforms since I was like 11 yeah. Um, and so it definitely started from like a personal position of like, you know, me thinking. And then I kind of just started um, thinking more and more about it and about anxiety. And I actually stumbled across an, a really cool article that was comparing um, Dostoevsky's The Double, which is written in like the 1800s, to the way we use social media. Wow. Um, and this is so person- crazy. No, like I the know. 1800s. It was called like what Dost, I can always send it if you want to include it in your show notes. Yes, definitely. It's like what Dostoevsky knew about the internet. That's scary. It is. But basically like the protagonist in that book is what the writer calls a paranoid narcissist. So he lives in fear, but also in hope that people are looking at him. And she uses it it as this, yeah, really brilliant metaphor for Mm -hmm. our relationship with social media and the kind of double-edged sword of the, the visibility that yeah. it provides. And so I ended up writing a short film about a YouTuber who is like editing his vlog late one night when his double pops up like in on Skype, like on his computer. Mm-hmm. And they have this really awkward exchange where the double's like, no, where the guy's like, do you know who I am? And the double kind of like power plays him. Um, so, I was, so I was a bit Thank interested me. in, yeah. <laughs> So I've been interested in like performing and like, you know, online personalities and the link between anxiety as well as like my own. And that Mm. made me start to think that, you know, surely some people, the more you are like involved with like the internet, the digital anxiety you experience is probably like tenfold. It probably increases. Yeah. So I've been interested in like social media celebrities and people who have branded themselves like Mm. as a social media star and what they have to navigate in terms of digital anxiety yeah so yeah there's the personal and the more kind of public consideration and it just morphed into me following my nose and pursuing these ideas and it just ended up being about social media anxiety and me kind of analyzing the hysterical narrative I think that's popped up Mm. um that it's a disorder Um, and I was kind of like that's really interesting I want to unpack that and that eventually led me to my own 
theorization of something different but in the same vein so digital anxiety but it's, that's not a disorder it's a governing process right that's a lot to think about but like it's really <laughs> cool to see no 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 it's really cool to see the different threads of how things relate and mm. how you landed I particularly think it's interesting how there's that personal element more on a micro level individuals mm. experiencing and utilizing social media but also you know public facing figures and has some of your research actually been involved in interviewing people like that, um, both more in an individual sense, but also public facing influences or social yeah. media personalities? So um, part of my research and probably one of the more difficult things I've attempted to do is it's quite hard to get in touch with people with large social media followings. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have interviewed like a, a couple of people and in the end I went for more quality over quantity and I had mm-hmm. quite in-depth um one person's a YouTuber, the other person is more of like an Instagram um, influencer and yeah. the other person yeah. is a bit of both. Um, and they all have different kind of niches within social media. One initially had a more kind of critical analysis, political area. One was more of a typical lifestyle influencer and the mm. other one is like a, um, a scientific expert. Oh, and so interesting. they all had different types of anxieties specific to their little pocket of social media. Mm. Um, and it was really interesting talking to them, particularly about how this personal anxiety intersects with their work because it is a job and it's their, yeah. it's how all of them make their money. And how and to so separate that line yeah, of work or, versus personal or integrity. Or how can't really. And so... Yeah. That's been something I've been interested in for a long time as, you know, alongside anxiety, this new emergence of an industry where your job is to be you. Mm. Um, and so for, Bo Burnham has been his, um, the, the, so he's a really interesting figure yeah. for that. Yeah. And his previous special, Make Happy, is a lot about him grappling with performing all the time and like oh my to-do not my to-do list to watch watch list list. everything is about these days it's pretty interesting because it's like performing your performance anxiety uh yeah but it's also like a performance anxiety not in the traditional sense of how we see athletes but also uh, really intertwining with like self and self anxiety in the way that Mm -hmm. you present yourself really and personality as well you know it's it's quite a newer thing that your personality is so tied up in your job people Mm. used to just like you know it was like more manual labor or whatever but the kind of labor involved in being a social media person is so varied and so personal and so connected to like your brand is also you there's so as much as it seems you know like it's branded and it's kind of commercial there's still that person there which is also why I think it's such a successful industry um I think that really brings people back that connection but I do think it comes at a cost um oh absolutely for these people I think one of the conversations I had with a friend recently when I was Mm. kind of asking some of my followers and just people I know on Instagram just to um touch on this topic I think what was brought up was about, you know, toxic positivity, positivity. Uh And, you know, this is something we've discussed as well, Maddie, but, you know, that performative aspect of authenticity, 
where that yep. becomes a branding tactic in itself mm-hmm. and how that kind of dialogue you have with your audience is kind of contributing to building this almost I don't know it's not really a nexus but it also feels like everything's kind of existing in this space Mm -hmm. and you can't have one thing without the other yes you can't have just like content that's raw and vulnerable without it also feeding back to you as the social media user or the person in with the platform so that mm-hmm. concept is super interesting and I wonder, has that also occurred and appeared in your line of research as well? Yeah, and so one of my subjects who is like a like a Instagram-type influencer, yeah. um, you know, a lot of her followers come for her personality. You know, that was what won them over. Yeah. And But when what happens when you form a community around a person is that there's an inherent idealisation that just Mm. has to happen you know and you kind of end up holding them to a standard higher than you would like yourself or your friend and I think this is um impossible to get around with social media relationships because you as much as it feels like you're getting a raw look at them it's still one-sided in that they're letting you see that yeah it's what they choose to yeah so as authentic as it is or it might feel it's still extremely curated. And that's what yeah. I think why, what you said where you can't have one without the other. You can't have realness without curation because the act of putting that out there and mm. those decisions is a curated one, even mm. if it's too... And oftentimes, like, I'm not against being real on social media. Um, yeah. I think it can be really helpful for followers to see that. But it is just kind of, you know, if I'm talking about it in more of a theoretical sense it does feed the cycle but I mean that's not on the creators that's I think down to the cycle itself which is one of digital anxiety which is why I call it a governing process Mm. it's struck it's it's cyclical and it works in this way yeah it's no one's fault it's just the way it functions and we all have to figure out a way to um fit into it because Mm. social media is this like undeniable force in our lives that's not going anywhere yeah I think it was really important for me personally through this year actually thinking about those concepts and thinking about how certain elements of media usage can be really toxic and really you know drawing in I really like the way that um this podcast episode talked about it they said that you know, social media and media usage is like this constant companion or your phone Mm -hmm. as well where you feel like you need to be attached to it constantly because it's providing you information, it's providing you validation about how you might have felt that day, Uh, it's providing you inspiration and all these other words. Mm -hmm. And so while we know that it can be quite harmful and can be utilised in a negative or quite a detrimental way, we still choose to hold on to it. And I think that is such an interesting area of, of course, it's not something that can be wholly covered by your particular line of research, but it really involves things like behavioral economics. It involves things like psychology and yep. sense of self and philosophy and all these huge questions. And I think I went through a process of really thinking about all of these things and just said to myself, hold up, hold up, hold up. I need a break. And so that's exactly what I did this year. And it was really illuminating for me to kind of reassess my priorities and how I was utilizing Instagram specifically. Mm-hmm. And in turn, it has meant that that space that was 
given for me to think has allowed me to have a more positive relationship with it now. But I imagine that that kind of process will be continual, like as social media changes and different, you know, right now we're living in an an era where TikTok is really dominating and Mm -hmm. short form content is the approach that Instagram and Facebook are gravitating towards e-commerce and business platforms. And so it's changing so fast that we need to take a step back and reevaluate. But I also understand that not all people think of it, think of this um, in, in this amount of depth. Some people just kind of have a gut feeling and they just utilize it, um, yeah, which is also think, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's definitely an intuitive like element here where when I say digital anxiety to people and they ask me what I'm doing, hmm. they instantly react. There's a sense of knowing what I mean before I even like elaborate yeah and you know this is people who aren't necessarily like within university or the academy and um, one thing I really wanted to do was to create a um, a work that spoke to experience of not a particular niche of people but you know it can be used beyond just like an academic resource it's always been important to me that Mm. it is approachable for at least conceptually for everyone because that's where I've gotten the inspiration from it's from like you know regular people's experience it's not Mm. a particular like highbrow yeah exactly Mm. and I think you know and I probably learned the most from like everyday you know people and just my observations of social media and conversations with people right there's so much um to glean from that and I think And what I've kind of discovered is that even though people might not be able to articulate it, and I couldn't always articulate it either, it's taken me several years to come to this like kind of point, people still know what I mean when I say like digital anxiety or when I say it's this kind of like circuit Mm. or when I say that I think we use coping mechanisms to manage our use of social media of which detox can be one of them. Mm. Um, because you know it's like I'm not going to use it for like a week yeah and then okay I feel more balanced now I'll come back to it yeah but you kind of builds up towards that needing to detox again mm. if that makes sense like it's yeah. never fully finished no. and I think that just comes down to the fact like people do know that it kind of creates anxiety or can kind of reinforce anxiety but people also know that it's not as simple as just turning off their phone that's something yeah. that young people have known forever, which is why that kind of, even with like online bullying and they'd mm. be like, you know, turn off the computer. It always felt simple. very tone deaf. Yes, and, that is so tone deaf. Yeah, really. It, this is a whole social, this, this is where socialization takes place. Mm. Like to not be available here isn't just a matter of like being, I'm too cool for Instagram. Yeah. But you you would not have access to a really wide field of where interaction happens. And that's, not reasonable I don't think to expect people to give that up in continuing with this theme of socialization and utilizing social media and online mediums to stay connected with friends and wider networks Maddie and I had a conversation about my quick study that I did with my own private Instagram followers where I asked people if COVID made them feel more anxious about using social media And although my sample size wasn't particularly that big, it was interesting, to say the least. 67% said no, that it had not. 
whilst 33% said yes. And I asked for a follow-up if there was anything else you wanted to add, and I got a range of different responses from my friends, essentially. Some people spoke about how it's this constantly reinforcing toxic relationship, which is something that you would have heard in this previous chunk of the episode. Others spoke about how it's actually been a really great platform for good to happen, Um, whilst other people talked about how addicting it was, how they felt forced to participate in certain trends or uh, contribute to content, I guess. And others spoke about, you know, COVID anxiety, you know, feeling nervous about checking the news, unsure about, like, what the right thing was to do, and FOMO even, you know, seeing other people go back to normal and you're feeling a bit uneasy about Uh, going out and mingling and meeting with people and I think the theme was quite clear although there isn't a specific answer to this question and you know lots of different people can have different opinions I think this range of responses really made the point shine through that it's not as simple as saying you know being online and using social media is all that bad or all that good but it's quite an intricate and nuanced thing and for every individual person you're going to have a different relationship to it so I found it really wonderful to have like a more robust discussion about it as opposed to you know making a really deductive conclusion and Maddie also talked about how she presented at a uh, like a conference or an opportunity for her to present some of her uh, findings with this with another colleague arose and she spoke about how COVID has actually increased this sense of wholesomeness in the community and, you know, we've seen those beautiful videos of people in Italy seeing from their balconies when the pandemic first was really serious in 2020 in in March and, you know, the things like... I am serious and don't call me Shirley. (laughs) Oh my god! Well, I decided to leave that interruption from Siri in there because I thought that was so hilarious and, you know, that opens a whole other can of worms about talking about AI. But anyway, um, it was nice to talk to Maddie about, you know, this rise of wholesomeness and, you know, lockdown cooking, this different content from everyone staying home. And, you know, Maddie wasn't very surprised that... In fact, most people actually saw social media as a force of good during the pandemic. Um, And so this next quote from her, as we lead into the next section of the podcast, really got me thinking. So look out for it. Uh, Let's get back to the episode. When we see the conditions around us change, the way we relate to social media changes as well. Yeah. And so... I think that it became somewhere like an escape or somewhere to have connection when people couldn't leave their house, people couldn't have the same kind of, you know, um, relationships or at least not kind of see them in the flesh. Mm. Um, And I think it also became this like thing of coming together and community. um, Yeah, absolutely. Online camaraderie through difficult times. I I wouldn't be that surprised if, you know, again, this isn't based on particular research, but I I wouldn't be that surprised if social media generally became a bit more positive during more difficult times. Right. Um, Like that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I see that now. Perhaps I was just kind of thinking about it in a really limited, through a limited lens. I understand why 
because I think on the other hand people are using social media more Mm -hmm. therefore there's more potential to encounter social media anxiety because perhaps you know you're spending more time seeing into the lives of other people so it's both of them but because the more you're seeing um and I think that people's usage probably goes up when there's less to do and you know your work day isn't what it was so like I, I understand why there would be extra social media, um, anxiety. Plus we've got like um, something I noticed with like, you know, friends and even, you know, myself kind of having this weird like feeling to do these like talking to camera like stories as if we're like influencers. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is my bre- how I make my breakfast. Um, and I think Lifestyle that, vlog content. Yeah, There's it's certainly like, you know, been a certain When everyone's one. alone, everyone kind yeah. of like, you, it takes on this performative element which is really fascinating and not dissimilar from like actual kind of vloggers and I and so in that sense I see both sides um because mm. we're using it more but I think that perhaps we need it more so the positive effects are amplified plus maybe there's mm. a bit less toxic stuff being spewed like you know when things are di- like not everywhere yeah it's a bit of both to each other (laughs) I think on the whole it's definitely kind of triggered a a wave of really positive and beautiful sentiments from people of course simultaneously some really disgusting rhetoric around you know racism and I mean people just being stupid yeah those people were racist before the pandemic um good point yeah and so it's always been there perhaps they just feel unfortunately more kind of confident to air their views (laughs) Uh. (laughs) yes that's very much could be the case but yeah I think I really like this conversation in that there's no you know rhyme or rhyme or particular reason Mm -hmm. in terms of like a formulaic approach to it or there's no one singular answer I think overall it's such an interesting conversation to consider and I didn't ever really think about you know can we attribute social media and anxiety being like directly linked or but I think if you say to yourself there are elements where these two things are intertwined you move away from this idea of saying oh correlation causation it's just a really simple link Mm -hmm. and it kind of provides further space for us to have constructive conversations about Mm -hmm. different elements of it and different ways that the mediums and platforms are evolving so in, in that sense, what are you really excited about, you know, in terms of finalizing your research and what do you hope others will gain? I think you've already touched base on it, but um, yeah, what do you hope others to take away from your research and your work? Um, I'm excited to finish it for lots of reasons. Um, <laughs> I think seeing it all come together is simultaneously the most rewarding and the most terrifying part because mm. I can no longer avoid the sections that scared me. <laughs> um, I can't put that off any longer. And yeah. you really have to, it has to see if it can stand up for itself. Mm. There is a risk that, you know, four years of work might not stand up the way I wanted it to, which is terrifying but I have to um, run that through. Yeah. Cause if I don't put it together, I'll never know. Um, and I think in terms of like getting something out of it, there's again, not everyone want to read this because it does have to be a bit more academic but I have always had the intention of potentially writing a more approachable version of it and releasing yeah. it um, like as a book, maybe. 
um that's kind of a dream um so you know (laughs) manifest that dream now (laughs) yeah well I take a bit of the like the theory would still be there but I you know some of the more academic elements like lots and lots of in-text citations like kind of I'd be able to and kind of invoke use more of my own voice um as well but I think as well that I just kind of I've encountered so many really amazing like researchers and theorists while creating my work Mm. and I actually just I think mostly feel like I want to make it I want to kind of show the way they've shaped what I've done in the sense that I think my work falls into it it's not doesn't stand a lot by itself it falls into this larger conversation and and in a way, while it's about anxiety and it is about social media, it's also about anxiety in a more philosophical way. Yeah. My whole first chapter really sets up like the basis of anxiety as a theory um, from philosophy and how I think that's why it's anxiety and not shame or it's not anything else or jealousy. Anxiety is a very interesting affect and mm-hmm. kind of at the same time, it mobilizes us to like become who we are. Um, yeah. Anxiety makes us aware of the limits that we, our limits as humans. Yeah. Um, and I think it's that very like in ways primal yeah. um, feeling, Definitely. but it's also been hugely um, amplified by like, you know, kind of more recent times, which is why the article about Dostoevsky is so interesting is that, you know, there's no social media there, but what there is is the industrial revolution. People are living closer to each other. And that's where the protagonist's social anxiety arises from. Mm. He's a bureaucrat. He's working with people. He's living close to people. And a lot of, I think, the rise of anxiety can be attributed, like, to the changes we've had in the last, like, yeah. you know, 100 or so years. Definitely. We're interacting with people more regularly. Um, and so while it's always been there, it's very, I think, tied to kind of, you know, capitalist enterprise mm. um, and kind of and new technologies is just a, an extension of kind of new industries. You know, it's yeah. all the, it's not the technology part itself, I think. It just, I think it just functions very well no, for social I, media. I definitely agree with that because the podcast I was referring to before was saying, you know, each time there has been some revolutionary new technological advancement that has always, always get this yeah. rise of yeah it's, yeah like with the radio and tv people thought that people could haunt you through it um, yeah and like the phone people are yep. only going to be talking with weird people online so it's, yeah. it's really good to I guess con- conceptualize anxiety more so as an experience rather mm-hmm. than it being of course there's the clinical and psychological aspect to it no doubt yeah. in that area is still so you know so much research needed but I think what you're doing is kind of conceptualizing in a way that we can relate to as it being an experience that we all kind of are binding yeah. together well, through different yeah mediums anxiety well. has a function like I've I've experienced clinical anxiety so I know like from right. that end when it gets too much and it really does like you know um inhibit you from from being that's when it becomes a disorder Mm -hmm. but anxiety as a as a feeling isn't isn't nothing wrong with it it's like anything only when it starts to interfere with your life your life yeah um anxiety serves a function and the kind of really old school 
belief is that like anxiety kind of keeps us like tethered to the world and to each other and it makes us aware of our potential the comment about how anxiety makes us more aware of our potential I thought was a really beautiful way to kind of wrap the formal part of the conversation and got me thinking a lot about how we can really positively think about the way that Uh, social media allows us to be more in tune with our limits and our feelings towards certain things and phenomenons of course you know when you bring in the challenges of an adolescent group that is so entwined with the some of the negative ramifications of uh, social media that can pose its challenges but I guess we didn't necessarily get the chance to explore into that topic but let me know if it is of interest to you we can definitely do a second follow-up episode to this one but this next final part of the episode I asked Maddie about her experiences doing postgrad study especially because her transition through her undergrad and honours and into her PhD studies was quite fast and I wanted to hear from her what characteristics are really uh, valuable in doing PhD or higher degree study and yeah what to look out for when if you you know want to embark on such thing so back to Maddie's words of wisdom you don't have to have like done well all the way through school or uni to end up in postgrad. A lot of people didn't. Um, I think what makes someone more equipped or more kind of potentially fit, like fit, fitted for postgrad work is curiosity and like, you know, kind of being really driven to unpack and to research and that doesn't always come from being like the best in your class definitely it's more of you know how much do you how much are you interested in it and so when I kind of got into my second particularly my third year of uni um, and I started to be able to do more and more work that I was interested in that's when I started to do well it wasn't always the case and then Mm. I just had luckily um people at the uni who I now work with which is very interesting and lovely they kind of said you know like you've got something you should think about honors and not because I was the highest achieving in the class or anything Mm. just because I was I guess showing that curiosity lots of things to think about from this conversation thank you so much for your time thanks for for having me yeah elaborating and it was such a, a welcome pleasure to have you talk about this topic and I'm sure so many people will gain a lot from our conversation so no it's always fun to articulate my research into you know come out of the little researcher black hole I'm often in you know poke my head out to the public yes Um, we love it a lot of fun thanks Danny thank you so much if you've made it all the way to the end of the episode and are currently listening to this outro Thank you. You guys are the best. This was episode two of Dose of Insight with Maddie Hitchens, talking about all things digital media and anxiety. If you'd like to get in contact with Maddie, I'm sure she would love to hear from you. Her email is linked in the show notes. And also that article she mentioned right at the beginning about paranoid narcissism is there as well. I'm very much looking forward to reading it. Sounds crazy that someone was commenting about this area you know many years ago 200 300 years ago 
And please join our online community at doi.pod on Instagram. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give it a rating and review. I would love to hear your thoughts and any feedback you might have on Spotify. Please give us a follow. And yeah, I'm just appreciative for your support. I know for me, this is purely a passion project, but is you know a great way for me to stay intellectually active and stimulated especially during this lockdown time if you're joining us from greater sydney parts of victoria or south australia my thoughts are with you i feel you and yeah please take care and finally i wanted to acknowledge that this episode was edited and put together on gadigal land here in sydney i want to acknowledge the elders both past present and emerging in our beautiful country and uh, pay respects to the fact that this land was never ceded and that it will always be aboriginal land and i'm so grateful to have the opportunity to work and produce on such beautiful country so please take care everyone i hope that you're able to take some time for yourself during these very very tricky times but yeah stay groovy and i can't wait to bring more episodes to you guys soon see you later